Today on The Verdict with Pastor John Monroe. So here's today's important lesson. Even when life hits a brick wall, God is at work for your good. Did you get that? Even when life hits a brick wall, God is at work for your good. You say, John, I'd like to believe that, but I I don't see it. I understand that. I've been there. I understand that, I think. Let me say to you, don't despair. Welcome to The Verdict, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor John Monroe, Senior Pastor of Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Sometimes things don't go the way we planned. An exciting start might turn into disaster and shake our confidence in God's goodness. Today, we're beginning a new study in the delightful Old Testament book of Ruth about a young woman trusting God in difficult circumstances. So now, here's Pastor John Monroe. Last time, we finished our fascinating series on the book of Revelation. Today, we begin an exciting new journey as we turn to the Old Testament book of Ruth. Ruth is one of the most beautiful and delightful books ever written, and one of two books of the Bible named after woman. It is only 85 verses, but is a fascinating story about a young woman trusting God in difficult circumstances. And as we see the story unfold, there are many marvelous lessons for us to learn as we follow Jesus Christ. We begin today by meeting a woman whose life hits a brick wall, something that we can all identify with. Perhaps you're facing your own brick wall right now, and it seems there's nowhere to turn. What should you do? Let's turn to the book of Ruth. You've made a decision to follow a particular course of action. The road you take and the plans you make are very exciting and great possibilities and promises of good things to come lie before you. Others may be stuck in a predictable rut of a kind of humdrum existence, but you are moving forward. And as you begin this new journey on this exciting road, the grass looks so green and so fresh, and life is so good. It may be a new job. Maybe a new home, a new location, a new challenge, a new business venture, a marriage, a new relationship, a student leaving home for the first time, going to college or to begin work. A fresh start is a break with the old. Some friends and family may try to caution you a little, saying, do you really know where this road is leading? Have you really thought this through? And while you listen politely, you continue your path. They may be stuck in their mediocre, boring life, but you are different. You are going to pursue the greener grass, the fresher opportunities, the more exciting possibilities. But what seemed at one point so exciting, so full of possibilities and potential, turns out to be a road of failure, of disillusionment, of despair and pain, indeed hurt for yourself and others. And that grass which once seemed so green and so alluring and so fresh turns out to be withering weeds. So much has been promised, and yet so little has been delivered. Your life has just hit a brick wall. Anyone ever been there? Some of you are there at this exact moment, and in the midst of your hurt and your disillusionment and embarrassment perhaps, and confusion and disappointment and despair and loneliness and hopelessness, what are you to do? What are we to do when life hits? a brick wall. This morning we're going to meet a woman whose life hits a very hard brick wall. 
This morning we begin the exciting study of one of the most beautiful and one of the most delightful stories ever told as we begin our study in this little book of Ruth, only 85 verses. Let me ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Ruth, and we're going to look at the first six verses and learn about life hitting a brick wall. If you've never read this little book before, let me ask you to read it several times. We're going to be in it for a few weeks. Today is the beginning. Ruth chapter 1 then, verses 1 through 6. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian, Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. And they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Then both Malin and Kilian also died, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. And so we are introduced to this woman and her family, this woman we know as Naomi. Here is our first scene I want us to think of this morning. A weeping widow stands in a Moabite graveyard. Can you picture Naomi? Can you try to understand something of her emotion as she stands in a graveyard in Moab? As she stands there, she realizes that she's cut off from her past. Naomi is an alien in Moab. More than 10 years previously, her husband Elimelech, her two sons and herself had emigrated from Israel, particularly from Bethlehem, and had gone to Moab. Their home, Bethlehem, means the house of bread. But there was a dreadful famine in the land, we read in verse 1. This happened, the writer tells us, in the days when the judges governed, verse 1. It was a very difficult time in the history of Israel, difficult socially, politically, economically, but above all, spiritually. Turn your Bible back just one page and read with me the last verse of Judges, Judges 21, verse 25, which is really a summary of the book of Judges, a very sad summary. And uh, the writer is telling us that what happened in Ruth happened in the days of the judges. Judges 21 verse 25, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. No spiritual leadership, no authority at all. Everyone doing what was right in his own eyes. And throughout the period of the judges, the Israelites fall into idolatry and apostasy over and over again. They're often overpowered by the surrounding pagan nations. And time after time, God raises up deliverers, judges we call them, such as Deborah, Gideon, and Samson, and others. And through the leadership of these judges, these deliverers, political and spiritual rest come to Israel, but only for a time. For as soon as the leaders die, 
the people of God sadly return to their old sinful ways, everyone again doing what was right in his own eyes. And this story takes place in those days. This couple from Bethlehem, Elimelech and Naomi, they are believers in the true God. They know God. But when the famine comes, Elimelech says, in effect, I'm not going to sit around in Bethlehem and see my wife and children starve. I hear there is plenty of food in Moab, Moab being to the east over the River Jordan, about 60, 70 miles from Bethlehem. And I think Naomi must initially have been very shocked when her husband Elimelech said he was thinking of leaving Israel and of traveling to this pagan nation, Moab. Israel, after all, is a land of promise, the land flowing with milk and honey. But perhaps Elimelech says, well, dear, our stay in Moab will only be for a short time. Once things get better in Bethlehem, we will return. Perhaps someone says to Elimelech, have you prayed about this? Doesn't Deuteronomy chapter 28 say that famine is a sign of the curse of God on the land, a sign that the nation has not been faithful to the Mosaic covenant? Instead of leaving Bethlehem, would you not be better, Elimelech, staying with us and calling on God in repentance? At the human level, we certainly can understand Elimelech wanting a better life for himself and his family. But there was a problem. God had promised to bless Israel. He had not promised to bless Moab. And Moab was the ancient and the very bitter enemy of Israel. Let me read to you Deuteronomy chapter 23 about Moab. Deuteronomy 23 verse 3. No Ammonite or Moabite shall enter into the assembly of the Lord. None of their descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall ever enter the assembly of the Lord, because they did not meet you with food and water on the way when you came out of Egypt. Remember when they were going from Egypt to the promised land, the Moabites, to say the least, were not friendly to Israel. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Bethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you, nevertheless the Lord your God was not willing to listen to Balaam, But the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you, that is, loves Israel. You shall never seek their peace or their prosperity all your days. The ancient, bitter enemy of Israel, Moab. And for 18 long years during the book of Judges, the Moabites, under their obese king Eglon, had dominated Israel. Then Ehud. One of the judges had delivered Israel by killing, by dramatically killing the king of Moab. Why then, Elimelech, of all places to go, would you go to Moab? The Moabites don't worship the true God. They have their own false god, a god called Chemosh. The meaning of Elimelech is, my god is king. What a wonderful name. My god is king. But Elimelech here is king of his own life. He's wise in his own eyes. It doesn't seem to bother him, apparently, that if he went to Moab, he would no longer be able to worship the true God at Israel's annual feast. So the four of them, Elimelech, Naomi, Malin, and Kilian, set off on that long road. Remember, this is 1,000 years BC, no cars. That long road from Bethlehem to Moab. As far as Naomi is concerned, it's a road to nowhere. Instead of turning to God in humble repentance, Elimelech turns from God and heads to a pagan nation. And what choice does Naomi have but to follow her husband? Now, over ten years later, 
They've been 10 years in Moab, at least, and Naomi is now standing in a Moabite graveyard, looking back over her past. She is an alien in a strange land, a land that she never really liked. Naomi is cut off from her past in Bethlehem. She's an alien in Moab. Secondly, Naomi is cut off from her present. Naomi, now a widow, stands by the grave of her husband. We read in verse 1, the end of the verse, a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. That word sojourn means to live somewhere on a temporary basis. The NIV translates it, to live for a while. Oh, Elimelech had said, we're only going to go to Moab for a time, and when things improve, we'll come back home. Just relax, Naomi. Everything will be taken care of. But Elimelech never again sets foot in the promised land. Never again sets foot on Israeli soil. He dies in Moab and is buried in a Moabite grave. Naomi's sorrow and tragedy and despair must have been overwhelming. Her husband of many years is dead. At her age, she will never remarry. She is standing now in Moab, not only cut off from her past in Bethlehem, but cut off from her present life. Her husband has died. Her life has hit a brick wall. But not only is she cut off from her past and her present, Naomi is cut off from her future. Now middle-aged, beyond the age of childbearing, Naomi has no future. She has nowhere to go, no one to turn to. You see, her sons, Malin and Killian, had married after their father's death. That was to be expected. But they had married, as we read in verse 4, they had married Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. I'm sure that Naomi, since the birth of her two boys, had prayed for godly wives for them. But they had married pagans. They had married Moabitesses. Yet over the years, it appears as we read the story that Naomi had come to love Orpah and Ruth. More than that, she had prayed for them, and she had told them of the true and the living God, the true God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the eternal God, the almighty God. And these young women, her daughters-in-law, must have listened not only respectfully, but in some way had understood the truth. And just when life appears to be getting a little better, tragedy again strikes. In fact, it is tragedy upon tragedy. Both Naomi's sons die. Death now strikes in this small family three times. Her husband, son number one, son number two. Let me ask you, is there any greater sorrow for a mother than the death of her own children? Can you picture weeping Naomi standing in a Moabite graveyard? She's there to bury her sons. Grandchildren, there are no grandchildren. There never will be. There's no one, she thinks, to continue now their family name. No one to provide for her. No one to protect her in her old age. In that society, widows are very vulnerable. Who's going to care for her now? And she's staring at three Moabite graves, utterly devastated, a hopeless, lonely, tragic figure, cut off from her past, cut off from her present, cut off from her future. Her husband and her children, all gone. Bad enough that if that happens in your home country, but imagine that happening in an alien land. Her name, Naomi, means pleasant. How ironic. Life for Naomi is the very opposite of pleasant. It's tragic. It's horrible. 
It's bitter. Her pain is unbearable. Staring at three Moabite graves, she realizes all of her dreams are shattered. Her life has hit a brick wall. That's scene one, a weeping widow standing in a Moabite graveyard. What will happen to this woman whose husband and children have all died and she's left alone? Scene two, verse six. Naomi hears of the Lord's tender grace. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. How wonderful. You see, the Lord is watching over this widow. The Lord is watching over Naomi. She's cut off from her past, cut off from her present, cut off from the future, but she's not cut off from her God. Any self-sufficiency, any independence, any self-reliance and pride on Naomi's part are now all gone. Her only hope is in the Lord. And staring at a brick wall, she's now open to God's grace and God's leading. Significantly, the Lord is first mentioned in verse 6. The Lord had visited his people, that is, back in Israel. The Lord had visited his people in giving them food, giving them literally bread. And Naomi, still in Moab, hears this wonderful news and decides now to return to Bethlehem. Although her body is in Moab, I believe her heart is always in Bethlehem. She has not forgotten her God. And the Lord has certainly not forgotten this poor, destitute woman in Moab. Psalm 146 verse 9 says, The Lord supports the fatherless and the widow. Any widows here? The Lord supports the fatherless and the widow, such as Naomi. The road to Moab apparently has been a road to nowhere, a road which hits a brick wall, ending in bitterness and tragedy. But now Naomi is going to turn for her home and for her God. She's going to retrace her steps. She is returning now to Bethlehem, the house of bread. Now let me suggest to you three biblical principles from this passage as we begin our study in Ruth. The first principle is this. Spiritual disobedience brings disastrous consequences for yourself and others. Paul in the New Testament puts it this way. What a man sows, he reaps. Don't be deceived. God isn't mocked. What a man sows, he reaps. There is a divine principle. There are consequences for our action. If you sow an apple seed, you're going to get an apple tree. If you sow corn, you're going to get corn. What you sow, you reap. And spiritual disobedience brings disastrous consequences for yourself and others. As I say, Ruth is a continuation, really, of the book of Judges, where there's a failure of leadership in the family and in the nation. If you're familiar with this story of the Judges, one of the things that leaps out to you is this great failure of leadership. Everyone doing what is right in his own eyes. There's no king, and there are leaders from time to time, but whenever they die, people go back to their old sinful ways. And there is a failure of leadership in the nation, spiritually and also in the home, over and over again. Elimelech here appears to look to himself for provision. 
rather than for God. More concerned with the material and the immediate rather than the spiritual and the eternal. Rather than being a man of faith and waiting on God, he's motivated, aren't we like this often, by short-term advantage. His disobedience and impatience in leaving Bethlehem to go to Moab bring disastrous consequences on himself and others. Now, spiritually speaking, have any of us here taken some action which has led or is leading you on the road to nowhere? Someone here this morning, you're about to take some premature action. A bit like Elimelech, perhaps you're a dad, you're a father, and you may not be taking spiritual leadership in your own family. You see, the spiritual consequences of actions in the family don't just impact those in leadership, but impact others. Parents, remember your actions that you take have serious consequences, good or bad, on your children. What kind of Christianity, dads, are you modeling in your home? Is there some father here about to make a foolish and impetuous decision? Perhaps you have a materialistic attitude. Perhaps you're pursuing your own ego or personal pleasure. The resultant havoc on your wife and your children and on yourself may be immense. The grass, yes, to all of us, the grass does look greener on the other side of the fence. I learned that in Michigan. We lived a little bit out of the city in our home when we lived there, and uh, we had a septic tank. Now, I had a neighbor who, who prided himself on having the best lawn in the neighborhood. I in no way tried to compete with him. But the greenest grass that I had in my yard, do you know where it was? Right above the septic tank. There's a lesson there, isn't there? <laughs> what on the surface often seems to be very good, very green, very alluring, very exciting, very fulfilling, very remunerative, may cover a moral sewer. Be warned. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are always to consider the spiritual consequences of our action. You're listening to The Verdict with Pastor John Monroe. And we'll continue this lesson from the Book of Ruth when we return next time. But in the meantime, be sure to visit our website at theverdict.org. There you'll be able to find all of our previous programs. And as a special bonus for our study in Ruth, we'd like to offer you a free copy of the helpful listening guide John has put together specifically for this series. This printable workbook is designed to walk you through each of these lessons in the coming days. His notes, questions, and personal prompts for application will help you follow along with these daily lessons and help you apply the rich lessons of Ruth to your own life today. So take advantage of this free resource by downloading or requesting a mailed copy of the Ruth Listing Guide when you visit theverdict.org. And while you're there, be sure to also sign up for John's monthly email newsletter. And if you've been helped by the clear biblical teaching offered on The Verdict, then we invite you to be a part of our ministry by supporting The Verdict with a donation of any size. Your contribution will help us share these biblical messages and resources with a wider audience around the world. You can easily give a one-time or recurring donation when you go to theverdict.org. Or you can call us at 
2231. Or send your check in the mail by writing to The Verdict, Care of Calvary Church, 5801 Pineville Matthews Road, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28226. Now, here's Pastor John Monroe. Well, what's your verdict? Have you ever felt like you've been on a road to nowhere? You're not alone. When you're tempted to make an impetuous decision, turn to God's Word. Prayerfully ask God for guidance and weigh the spiritual implications for you and your family. You can always turn to our Heavenly Father for guidance and refuge. You may not understand His purposes or His ways, but God is always on your side, so trust Him. Tomorrow we will look closer at three important principles that we can take away from Naomi's road to Moab. Thanks for joining us today on The Verdict. I'm Michelle Davies. Today's program with Pastor John Monroe was produced and sponsored by Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina.